0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay,
1: Today's scripture reading um, is taken from Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25 to 42. So I'll give you some time uh, to take out your Bible or your e-Bible on your phone. Uh, you can also refer to the projection being flashed up on the screen. Okay, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, the, to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. The priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Looked after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, "The one who had mercy on him." Jesus told him, "Go and do likewise." As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman, a woman named Martha, opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary Mary has chosen what is better, and he will not be taken away from her. This is the book of God. I will now pass the time to uh, Pastor Andrew, who will explain uh, today's passage to us.
0: Okay, it's great to see all of you here this morning. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you, we thank you for another day where we can come to your presence, where we can meet you in your word. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts, that we'll really be able to understand uh, what your word is saying today, where you may speak clearly to us and that we may truly live as your people. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when I was in theological college, uh, every Monday afternoon, we used to have our weekly football game. And this is where everyone would gather in the field on the road uh, across from where our theological college was from the first to fourth years, and we would all play soccer together. So one Monday, we were playing soccer, and I landed awkwardly, and I felt my knee kind of pop, and I knew that I sort of injured myself. So I kind of like took myself out of the game. I kind of hobbled and limped and uh, hopped across back to where the theological college was, hoping to get to my car to drive home. But by the time I got to the college itself, I realized that my knee was really, really painful, and I had trouble walking, and I probably couldn't drive. In those days, you know, we didn't have mobile phones, right? So this was quite a while ago. And and so, you know, I really needed someone to help me. And so there was this student um, who was in the year above me, and he was just rushing past. And I said, hey, 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 could you help me? You know, I, I think I've injured my knee. It's really painful. And then he said to me, he said, hey, you know, you really got me in a really bad time. I'm really in a big hurry. I've got to go somewhere. I've got to meet someone. I'm really sorry. You know, I hope someone can help you. And then he rushed off. And so there I was. I was just standing there on one leg, hobbling away. And, uh, and I was kind of stuck. Now, I wonder whether that's ever happened to you before, where you, know, you really needed someone to help you, but then uh, there was no one around to help. Or maybe you've been uh, on the other side where you've met someone who really needed help, but uh, for, for whatever reason, uh, you didn't help them. And that's why I think today we really need to listen to today's passage, because it teaches us that in Christ and through Christ, it transforms the way that people relate to one another. Now, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at uh, the book of Luke, and the first nine chapters of Luke, it really deals with the question of, who is Jesus? Who is this person? And we learned that Christ is the Messiah, right? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the all-powerful, eternal king. He's God in himself, in his essence. But as we move from chapter 10 onwards, it really deals with the question of what is the mission of Christ? And what does it mean to follow this Messiah, this eternal king? And so today, it really deals with the question of relationships. Now, today's quite a complicated passage, so I really want to ask you to really concentrate. Now, it begins in verse 25. And on one occasion, the expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what seems to be happening here is that the context is that Jesus was probably preaching and teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. There were probably disciples and inquirers around. And within the midst of this teaching session, we see that this expert in the law, we'll call him a lawyer from now on, he stands up Two things we notice about this lawyer. First thing is, within the midst of this congregation or this group of people who are listening to Jesus, he stands up to test Jesus. He's not asking a question with reference to being a disciple or a follower of Jesus. He stands up to test Jesus. He wants to take the measure of Jesus. He wants to see where Jesus stands. Okay. Second thing we see also is that in the question we ask, he asked today, Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this word do here, the idea of effort, work, action, uh, to inherit eternal life is a word which is going to keep being repeated over and over again as we look through this passage, right? What must I do? What must I do? What must I do, okay? To inherit eternal life. Now, once we understand that context, then we understand how Jesus replies, okay? Because in the reply of Jesus, you notice he never really gives a straight answer. But rather, as we look at this passage, Jesus asks a question usually in response to the question of the lawyer. So, the lawyer asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus asks another question. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Now, what Jesus does here. Is that in his question, if you'll notice, he limits the focus of the answer. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And what Jesus is really saying here is he doesn't want the lawyer to appeal to the oral traditions or the oral teachings or the religious law of the Pharisees. He wants the lawyer to go back to God's word, to the scriptures. What is written in God's law? How do you read it? And so the lawyer then replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now here, the lawyer refers back to two purple passages in the Old Testament, two celebrated and revered verses in the Old Testament. One from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and one from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And he quotes them to say, Look, this is what you need to do to inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus then replies, You are correct. 100 marks, right? Perfect answer. Do this, and you will live. Now, as we look at this reply from Jesus, do this and you will live, I think the way we're supposed to read it in the reply of Jesus to this lawyer is to see that actually Jesus is asking him a very provocative question or a very provocative um, uh, instruction. Do this, and you will live. I think what Jesus is really trying to do here is to provoke reflection or thinking on the part of the lawyer. So in one sense... The lawyer came to test Jesus, right? But in Jesus' reply to the lawyer, the lawyer is now being tested by Jesus. Jesus is really asking to think, right? Can you really do Deuteronomy and Leviticus? Can you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind? Can you really do this? Can you give all of your being in love to God? And can you really love your neighbor as yourself? And I think what Jesus is trying to do here is to really provoke the lawyer to ask himself the question, can I really do How can I do this? I can't do this, right? I need help. Now we see that Jesus actually touches a nerve, right? that he is able to see, uh, make the lawyer see that he's being tested in some way. Because in verse 29, the lawyer replies to Jesus. He says to Jesus, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now the word here, justify, is uh, the idea of uh, trying to show that you are right. To show that you can do something. To show that, He is able to do these things to inherit eternal life. That's how you justify yourself, right? It's like, you know, uh, when you do something, right, and then someone says, you know, oh, why did you do that? And you try to justify yourself. You try to show that you are right. And that's what the lawyer is trying to show, right? He's trying to show, yes, I can do these things. So he then asks, who is my neighbor? Now, what is he exactly asking? What is the lawyer asking? Well, in asking the question, who is my neighbor?, In a sense, he's trying to limit or qualify or restrict the definition of neighbor. So in a sense, he's trying to make the circle of neighbor smaller and smaller, right? So neighbor can be anybody. Can be friends, can be Jews, can be relatives, can be family. But by limiting, in a sense, and making smaller and smaller and smaller, the circle of people that you regard as neighbor then you are able to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Because, you know, if you only need to love your family members and the are only three of you, then, you, you know, you, you can reasonably justify to say, I love them as I love myself, right? But as the circle of neighbor gets bigger and bigger, then the more impossible it is to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the context of the question that the lawyer is asking. Who is my neighbor, Right? Who can I limit the definition definition of neighbor to so that I can fulfill and do do action in order to fulfill this command? So Jesus then tells this parable. Jesus says a man uh, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now why are we told this uh, information? Surely, yes, I guess it's a dangerous journey. But I think more than that, we are told there's very little information about this man uh, because fundamentally, at its very base, we know he's a Jew, he must be a Jewish man, right? Because he's traveling from the, the center, the capital of, of, of Judah, Jerusalem, down to Jericho. So this here is a Jewish man. We're told about this Jewish man that as he is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell into the hands of robbers. We're told three things about what happened to him. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, and leaving him half dead. So here he is. He's in really desperate straits. He's naked, he's alone, and he's dying, beaten by a group of people. So this Jewish man, we know, is a man of... Of, of, of great need, a man in, 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 of great help. He really needs help. Okay, of, of all the things he needs, he really needs help. We then read that a priest, okay, a priest, someone from the ruling religious class, happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. Okay, So he sees the man. Now this is very important, right? Because, Whatever happens next is a deliberate conscious choice by the priest. It's not something that happens out of ignorance. He's doing this deliberately. He saw the man. He sees the man who is in need, the man who needs help, the Jewish man who needs help. What does he do? He passed by on the other side. Now, this word passed by on the other side uh, literally has the idea he stayed as far away from him as possible. He he wanted to avoid this man and keep as much distance as he could from this man. Okay, so here we see the first man, a priest, a member of the Jewish religious class. He is of no help to this Jewish man who needs help. Next we are told is a Levite. Now, a Levite is like one level down from the priest. He's like the guy who helps the priest, okay? That's what the Levite does. He's like the associate priest. He came to the place too, and he also saw the man. And he also stayed as far away from this man who needs help as he could. So here we see two individuals who belong to the Jewish religious ruling class, the priest and the Levite both saw the man, both made the conscious, deliberate decision not to help this man. Now, in a sense, if you, if you really think of what's happening here, the expert in the law belongs to this class. He belongs to the religious ruling class. He, he, would, he would consider the Levite and the priest as part of his brethren, right? They're like literally part of the same group. And in a sense together with the lawyer, they are not neighbors, right? They they are probably walking past and they say, who is my neighbor? And this man is is not my neighbor. So they pass by as far as possible in distance to this Jewish man who needs help. Jesus then introduces a third character, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now, historically, historically, As we heard from Andrew Wong, Pastor Andrew Wong, a few weeks ago, Samaritans were hated, despised, and there was great hostility against Samaritans. It's a bit like they had this mutual hate. It's a bit like, you know, if you think of Ukrainians and Russians today, right? Okay, It's that sort of animosity between the two. Now, it is not just uh, the lawyer who would feel this way hearing about the Samaritan in the story we read earlier on that the disciples themselves who were following Jesus, they also would feel this great hostility and hatred and despise Samaritans. So a few weeks ago in chapter 9, verse 51 to 56, there was this incident where as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, He sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. Why? Because he was heading for Jerusalem. right? He was, it was because he was a Jew that the Samaritan village did not welcome him. And look at the disciples' response. When the disciples James and John heard, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and went to another village. And so, for the disciples, their response to the Samaritans was to want to call fire down from heaven to destroy them. For the Samaritans, their response to hearing that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem was to say, You're not welcome. And so as we come to uh, the parable, really, when the lawyer says, who is my neighbor, then really the Samaritan falls way, way, way outside of the definition of neighbor for the Samaritan, for the disciples, for the hearers in the crowd. And so we are introduced now to this Samaritan, right, who is going to meet This Jewish man who mutually, in every sense of the word, do not see themselves as neighbor. So the question really is now is how would this Samaritan react? Because obviously if the priest and the Levite who were like the the head of the religious institutions will not help this injured Jewish man, then what will this Samaritan do? Well, the passage then goes on, the parable. But the Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was when he saw him he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, when I, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now here we're told in great detail what the Samaritan does. The first thing we know is that he saw, he saw the man just as the priest and the Levites saw the man too. But look at the, the stark contrast to his reaction. He took pity on this Jewish injured man and he went to him. This word, he went to him, is a complete opposite of the reaction of the priest and the Levites who kept as much distance as they could to this man. He closed the distance between the injured man and himself. And then what did he do? It says that he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. Now, you know, it's not as if uh, we presume that he had a first aid kit uh, handy with him and his donkey. What probably happened was he would take his own spare clothes. He would probably have to tear into strips uh, to bandage the man's wounds. He had to sacrifice his own clothes to look after this injured man. The passage then goes on to note that he poured oil and wine to disinfect the wounds that had been inflicted on this poor traveler. Now again, the oil and the wine were probably things which were valuable and expensive to him that that he kept for himself. The Samaritan probably used it for drinking, for, for his food, for his bread. But here we see him sacrificing it generously for this injured man. The passage then goes on to tell us, he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn to take care of him. Now, you think about it for a second. Uh, there are many famous pictures. You can Google it, but not here right now. Uh, this is by Vincent van Gogh. You can imagine, right? Physically, uh, this, this Samaritan would actually have to lift up this oily, bloody stranger and put him on his donkey using his own energy, getting his own clothes dirty, as he took him on his donkey, he would probably have to walk while the man was on the donkey. And he took him to an inn. Now, we don't know whether he had to detour to go to an inn. Maybe it's on his way, maybe not, but we don't know. But obviously, he had to make a special effort to do so. But when he got to the inn, he didn't just dump the guy there, right? It's not like, you know, some people, they see someone injured, they just drop him to A&E, then they drive off or something, right? Emergency department. He actually spent the night looking after this injured man who was a stranger to him and an enemy too. And then the next day, we are told that he gave the innkeeper two silver coins. Uh, Apparently, in, in, in the ancient world, two silver coins would pay for 24 days of stay for this injured man. And on top of that, he told the innkeeper, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, I think we're told all these many, many facts to emphasize that the Samaritan did not ask, who is my neighbor? But he acted as a neighbor. He, He sacrificed his energy, he sacrificed his time, He sacrificed his money. He sacrificed his own things. Jesus then asked a question, right? To the the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. You notice the lawyer still is unable to say it's the Samaritan, right, who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, what do we to understand? How are we to understand Jesus' reply, go and do likewise? I think in the same way as we follow the context of what we read in the first section, really, Jesus again is trying to provoke reflection on the part of the lawyer, right? Can I really love neighbor as myself? Because, you know, The reason why we're having this discussion is because the lawyer wanted to justify himself. But Jesus will not allow the lawyer to justify himself. He'll say, look, can you do what you say you want to do or can do? Now, as we understand, right, what's happening, uh, the, the lawyer came to test Jesus and Jesus is now testing the lawyer instead. Can you really go and do likewise? Now, a bit of context is important here. When the lawyer asked, uh, said to Jesus, right, to justify himself, and who is my neighbor? Like, there's a whole expanding circle of people who could be captured in this definition of neighbor. If we go back to the original quote in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, the lawyer, okay, he's a lawyer not of civil law but of religious law, probably had in mind already that Leviticus chapter 19, 18 said, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So already for the lawyer, he was seeking to justify himself because in his own mind, neighbor is only Jew. Neighbor is only my people, right? My culture, my blood, my kin. Definitely this Samaritan is not my neighbor, right? And so even by asking this question, The lawyer is even trying to limit beyond what Leviticus is saying and try to make even smaller the circle of who is my neighbor. But what Jesus is doing is Jesus is showing through this parable that all are neighbor. Everyone is neighbor, right? Even the Samaritans. And so what Jesus is doing is he's applying maximum application to Leviticus chapter 19. He's making maximum application of who is my neighbor and how I'm to love my neighbor. And what he's trying to do, therefore, for the lawyer, is to say, look, you act like a neighbor to all. Be a neighbor to all. And so in a way, this is like a negative parable, right, to, to to the lawyer, because the question is, can he really go and do likewise? Can he act neighbor to everyone? Can he pass that test? And I think what Jesus is really trying to do is to make him realize that he cannot pass that test, that he would fail the test of loving neighbor self, and that in the end God would judge him because he could not obey what God's law was saying, and that he needed in turn to turn to Jesus for forgiveness. So really, what Jesus is trying to do is to get the lawyer through the parable of the Samaritan to follow him to recognize that he is unable to keep the law of love and neighbor itself. But I think also as we listen to this parable, there is also another group of people who are the intended audience of Jesus' parable. Uh, Don't forget, this is in the midst of a great crowd of people. The lawyer stood up to ask this question. And among the crowd will be the disciples, the disciples who share the same prejudice and hate and hostility against the Samaritans who wanted to call down fire on the Samaritan village. And as they listen to the parable, as they listen to what Jesus is saying, they need to kind of reflect on themselves and to see, look, their attitude was, Samaritans are not my neighbor. But in this parable, right, in this parable, the Samaritan is the one who acted as a neighbor to the Jewish man. And as they reflect on what this parable is really saying, they need to see that as in Christ and through Christ, they need to act as neighbor to all with great sacrifice. In a sense, the Samaritan is the model of love that they are to show to other people in Christ. Now, we've already seen this because in other parts of the Bible, like Romans chapter 13 or Galatians chapter 5 or James chapter 2, we're actually told that as Christians we are to continue to love our neighbor as ourselves. Right? Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 9 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, covet and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think that as the disciples hear this parable, as they watch the interaction between Jesus and the lawyer, the lesson for them is as they follow Jesus, they need to love the neighbor through and in Jesus. So for us and for the the disciples, we do not identify with the priest and we do not identify with the Levite, right? We recognize that now that we are in Christ, we cannot be like the priest and the Levite and just walk past people who are in need. Right? We do not ask the question, who is neighbor? but rather, we are neighbors to all. So I remember many years ago, when my father had prostate cancer, he had many close golfing friends. Uh, they went to travel together to play golf, their families uh, actually spent time together. But when he had prostate cancer, I think they came to visit him probably once, and that was it. They never came again. But uh, my father had one Christian friend. One Christian friend. Not a very close friend, but just a distant acquaintance. But this Christian friend came regularly to visit my father. He was a neighbor to my father. He came to my father. He shared the gospel with my father. He tried to spend time with my father. See, in a sense, what he was doing was the right response, right? He didn't ask, oh, is my dad my neighbor? I mean, he doesn't live in the neighborhood. Is my dad a neighbor? He's not a Christian. Is my dad a neighbor? Well, he's not particularly close. But he still chose out of his own free time and free will to to sacrifice time and energy to come and sit with my dad when he had cancer, to spend time with him and share the gospel with him. See, this is what we are told to do in Christ and through Christ. Anyway, so I told you about how I was left standing on one leg after I injured my knee playing football. And, and, um, and I guess I should tell you that actually the story has a happy ending because soon after, I bumped into two, or two people in my ear And when they found out that I had injured my knee, they were really wonderful. What they did was um, uh, one of them got into my car and uh, put me in it and and drove me home about 20 minutes away. And another one followed in another car uh, behind. So when they got to my place, one of them, this big Australian guy, put me on his back and carried me six flights up the stairs to my flat. And then they drove home together in the other car. Now I think that's that's what we should be like as Christians, right? As Christians, we should be neighbors to one another. We should love one another as ourselves. And so, in Christ and through Christ, are you a neighbor to people? Right? Do you go and do like the Samaritan? Or are you, in a sense, like the priest or the Levite? Because we should be a neighbor to people in church, a neighbor to people in our Bible study, a neighbor to people that you know are not Christians who are not even really our physical neighbors, but just people in need. Now the passage goes on in verse 38 to 42, and this is a very, very important section too. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, "'Lord!' Don't you care that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now here we are introduced to the first person, who is the person Mary. Now, Mary, we're told, uh, not much about her, we're just given a visual picture of her, right? It's a very powerful image, and this is a key, key image, right, which kind of tells us what Luke is trying to tell us. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Now, this visual picture is a picture of Mary wanting to be with Jesus, wanting to be in relationship with Jesus, wanting to be in the presence of Jesus. She sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had to say. And what do we know Jesus was saying that day? He was probably preaching about the kingdom of God, about salvation, about forgiveness, about peace with God, about heaven. Mary is then contrasted with Martha. Martha, it says, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was worried and upset about many things. Now, this word distracted is a very, very important and key word here in this section. It's a very negative word, right? I remember many years ago when I was working, uh, my, my boss uh, was having a conference call with a whole group of us uh, on a conference telephone, and he was driving, okay? He was driving, and he was telling us all these different things that we needed to do. So we're all in this room, we're on the conference table, and he's driving, and then next minute we hear this, we hear this screech, bang, and then my boss says utters this swear word, right, in the conference call, and he says, uh, hey, very sorry guys, I think I have a car accident, I'll call you back. What happened? My boss was distracted. Instead of focusing on his driving, he was focusing on telling us all these things we had to do, right? And when you're distracted, bad things happen. For my boss, he had a car accident, he rear-ended somebody else, right? But here in this section... Being distracted, Mary had a far, far worse outcome, right? Because by being distracted from the person of Jesus, by being worried about upset about many things, many good things, she failed to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to Jesus Christ. Now, if you think of the context, Jesus was passing through that village. This may have been the only time that she could have sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what she was, he was saying. And so because she was distracted she possibly may have missed out on a relationship with Jesus, missed out on eternal life, missed out on salvation and forgiveness and the kingdom of God. She made a bad choice. And therefore, in verse 42, Jesus replies with great tenderness, right? Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and will will not be taken away from her. Now this verse 42 is Really important, and I think the ESV translation actually translates it a bit better for us to understand, right? So what it says then, uh, the, ESV, the NIV translation is closed, but I think ESV is helpful. So only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The, the uh, ESV translation says, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, right? And it will not be taken away from her. Now, this word portion, or what is translated better in NIV, is often used in the Old Testament uh, to talk about my portion of God, right? Uh, we did it in the responsive reading, and it always refers to my relationship with God, my possession of God. And so what Mary is doing in spending time with Jesus, listening to Jesus, is she's choosing the one thing which is necessary, the necessary thing. She's chosen a relationship with God through Jesus that's what this passage is saying which will not be taken away from her and this is why it is so so important being with Jesus listening to Jesus must be more important than even service for Jesus i remember reading this book uh, many years ago oh sorry okay uh the Call to Spiritual Reformation by Don Carson. And he tells this uh, interesting story, I think it's a true story, about how in, the, in America somewhere, there's this old couple, and they're driving in their car really slowly, and they come on this deserted highway to this uh, man who's uh, pulled over by the side of the road. And so this old couple, they pull over, and they ask the man, uh, what's the problem, you know? Can we help you? And the man said, oh, very sheepishly, I, I, I ran out of patrol. And the man said, but didn't you see the patrol station the one a few couple of miles before and then the, the one even a couple of miles before? They said, yeah, yeah, I know, but I was so... In such a great hurry, I thought that I'll just keep going and then I'll get patrol later on. And so this old couple, they have this small jerry can of patrol just enough to get him a couple of miles down the road and they filled it up. And so they said, okay, you know, you've got enough to get to the next patrol station. And so he gets in the car and he zooms off down the road. So this old couple get into there. Their old car, and they just you know trundle down the road, go down a couple of miles, and then hey, there's the same guy pulled over again. They say, so "What happened to you?" I say, "Oh, I didn't stop at the petrol station. No, I just thought I'll keep going a bit further, and maybe I'll get to my destination. That I can fill up then." And that's the same thing, right? That that's happening here. It's like so many of us, we choose. To, to be distracted by doing things and doing things and doing things, distracted by work, sports, family, children, ministry. And we think that we can just keep going on, but in a sense, over time, there's nothing left in our spiritual tank, right? We keep choosing to do things, but not being with Jesus or listening to Jesus. And over time, we have no spiritual fuel left for God. And and. And because we are choosing wrongly, we may actually lose the good portion of our relationship with God because we're not being with Jesus and listening with Jesus. We're not doing the one thing that is necessary. So yesterday we had the men's ministry. And uh, we, this is only interest, guys. That's how we have this men's ministry thing, right? And we listened to this half an hour interview with this guy called Gavin Peacock who was like, a professional footballer for 18 years for uh, clubs like Queen's Park Rangers, Chelsea, and Arsenal, I think. And he was a captain and everything. But he was a Christian and he became a minister in the end. And he said that he survived the temptations of 18 years as a professional footballer. Because, you know, there are lots of temptations, right? You know, money, fame, women, all these sort of temptations. Because he kept focusing on his devotional life, quiet time, and time in the Word. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching the disciples here, and what Luke is teaching us, isn't it? Is that we need to choose the one thing that is necessary. The one thing is being of Jesus, listening of Jesus. You know, this is the thing that will actually really matter at the end. Our good portion of God, our possession of God, our relationship with God, that's what will count at the very end, which will not be taken away from us. So at the very end, in today's passage, uh, really, we were, we were told uh, earlier on, right, in, in the parable, that we can love our neighbor only through and in Jesus. And that's why it's so important to be in Jesus and listening to Jesus, because without being in Jesus and listening to Jesus, in a sense, we can't even do the things that we need to do, isn't it? So I hope that for all of us here as we listen to God's word today, that all of us here will do the one thing that is necessary, The necessary thing to sit at Jesus' feet, to be with Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus and to listen to Jesus regularly, to guard that and to make that our priority. And in this way, what we have will never be taken away from us. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we ask that you will help us to reflect on this deep, and profound passage that as we see the interaction between Jesus and the lawyer we will recognize that in ourselves we are unable to love you with our whole being that we are unable to love our neighbor as ourselves we need the forgiveness of Jesus for the times that we fail dear father as those who are in Christ who follow Christ and are disciples of Christ help us Dear Father, to see that the demands of love neighbor itself extends to all, all who are in need, all who need help. Help us to love them, show mercy to them. Help us to, to be sacrificial in our time and our monies and our energies to help those around us. Especially in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And dear Father, we pray for each and every one of us that we are not distracted, not distracted from the one thing that is necessary to sit at Jesus' feet, to listen to your Son, Jesus, to focus on guarding our relationship with Him, to keep that good portion that you've given us that will never be taken away. And We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for sharing with us uh, God's Word today and challenging our daily priorities. That is uh, doing one thing that is the most important, and that is to listen to Jesus and to have a relationship with him. So may God help us uh, to choose wisely. So now we have a time of uh, uh, reflection, um, uh, discussion time, uh, over breakout rooms as well as within your group. Uh, The question is now going to be flashed on the screen. So we'll just have one question. So what lessons have we learned Have I learned today that I need to apply in my life? So let's come back in seven minutes.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.